What is up, Asymmetry? Got something special for you today. This gentleman has, from the onset of making his work present and available to the public, just blown my mind. Sergio Kwan, a Northeastern bonsai practitioner whose deciduous work has really inspired, spoken to me, and uh, continued to over the course of his evolution as a bonsai practitioner, artist, uh, educator, um, expanding into the coniferous range and recognizing that this is a person applying concepts that go beyond just mimicking the bonsai practice, but really investing in the design aspect and the artistic aspect and creating trees with a level of technique and capacity to innovate that we don't often get to see in practitioners not trained in Japan. Uh, Sergio was nice enough to tune in with us over the phone today and and really walk through his evolution, his thought process, and uh, where he's headed in the bonsai practice. If you don't know his work, check out M5 Bonsai Works. If you do know it, uh, we get to know Sergio on a whole new level and uh, just an absolutely inspirational talent in the bonsai realm who I can't wait to see where he chooses to go with his work. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. How are you, man? Ah, How are you doing? Yeah, doing good all right. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I'm so excited yeah. for this. I Me mean, too, man. Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. This is this is absolutely uh, great. I thank you for, as always, for, for the support, for sure. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you told me, hey, you want to be a part of my uh, podcast, I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> of course. Of yeah. Course. Well, I mean, uh, so it's it's tough with the podcast. We've be- obviously yeah. because there's, you know, com- comfort levels around being out and about and whatnot. And and yeah. uh, there's so many, so many people that I would love to talk to. But when I started thinking about, you know, definitely work that I find am finding inspiring that I'm seeing taking place sort of on all the social channels or areas where you get to see bonsai work these days. Uh, your work is, is front and center. And that really stands out as just some phenomenal, I think technical artistic, um, as well as very intentionally driven work. And so I was like, I'll just reach out to Sergio because, and the other thing is, you know, you were at the trophy last year. Yes. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And I didn't even I didn't even yeah. I didn't even really get to talk to you about that. And I well, just the, thought, son yeah. of a gun, you know, missed opportunity. Yeah. Well, you know, it, the funny thing about it is that, yeah, so I obviously was at the trophy, as you know, last year, 2019. And uh you know, and and I believe it was your first day at doing the um the demo. And I said, Oh, you know, love to I was talking to Troy and I was talking to um to Todd, right? They were count down and they were watching you there. And uh, and you were kind of towards the end and I saw you kind of coming down. I said, ah, I just gonna wanna say hi to 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 Ryan real quick. And all of a sudden, just like a big swarm of like Europeans just surrounding you <laughs> like a rock star. I'm like, forget it, I'm not talking to Ryan anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah, so I, I had to, I gave up. I gave up. You were surrounded there for like I mean, I stay a little bit, but uh, you were there. I don't know for how long you stayed, but everybody was like swarming you, asking questions, and uh, it was it was exciting to watch. But uh, there was no chance for me to to even approach you. But yeah. uh, anyway, well, I wanted, but I I wanted to ask your impression of it, uh, the impression, your impression of the trophy yeah. of European bonsai. Yeah. 
and, sure. and, and where your head is at now, just in terms of a world bonsai perspective. Yeah. So I guess the first thing I would say is I've been, I've been investing a lot in my sort of quote unquote bonsai education, if you will. And part of that, right. Is to try as much as I can try as much as I, I can afford to, uh, to go to some of these shows. And uh, definitely the trophy was a must for me to see. Um, it is the pinnacle, obviously, of uh, U- European bonsai. Yeah. As you know, I think outside of Japan, I think they're, they're creating by far some of the best bonsai uh, that, you know, in the world. And um, my impression, so I, I definitely told my wife, I, I definitely have to, you know, I have to go. I have to, we have to go and see it. Or at least I had to, I had to go and see it. And, um, well, first of all, with me, obviously, I was blown away by by it. I mean, I I had seen pictures in the past. I had seen, you know, YouTube videos. Um, you know, some of the best of the best. I mean, you have Spain, who's creating some of the best bonsai, I think, in Europe. Um, but my impression was again blown away by it. Um, I would say that um, there was a range, right? A range of more classical, more quote unquote Japanese style bonsai or or you know or inspired by Japanese aesthetics. And um and then there, there, there were other bonsai that were just just really outside of that tradition, right? So I think I saw a really beautiful range of approaches and they were all beautiful. I mean Luis Vallejo, right? He had that row special exhibition there and my god i mean that was amazing amazing i mean he's got uh you know he's got mario comsta i think behind behind the the work and uh you know he's totally incredible but um but yeah i I thought that uh, you know um what how do you maria no how do you pronounce her name i I say Uh, i say maria 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 Maria, yeah yeah, um, I mean, with the emperor, right? I mean, yeah. wow, amazing! That was very amazing. powerful. That was like that was incredible, incredible. Um, so you know, there was a huge range of material there that uh, I mean, a really high, high level, high level that that not only is inspiring, but you know, it teaches you so much. At least for somebody like me, that is trying, I'm trying to you know, trying to sort of kind of hone in on, on, well, let me just say first that what I, what I've, I've been kind of reinventing myself, let's just say as an artist, uh, as you probably already know, Ryan, my background is graphic design and, and painting and drawing and such. Well, I, don't, I, I have I to be to. honest. I, I don't know. I've heard whispers, but I've been so curious. And that's part of wanting to talk to you is like, where did you, sure. where did this come from? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, sure. Sure. So um, my, that's my background, right? So I, from a young age, I've been like drawing. I mean, my, my parents tell me that, uh, you know, when I was three, my grandmother used to give me a chalk, right? And go at it in one of her walls and just go for it. And um, so from a very early age, I was always drawing, basically. So I have a, you know, a passion for it. Mm. And uh, finally, somehow, I ended up in art school. I went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. And uh, that's where I did my, you know, my education, my art education. And uh, I, I've always loved 
you know, painting and drawing, but it became with a full-time job, it became very difficult for me to kind of keep up my job and keep up painting and drawing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And somewhere in there, and we can, we can kind of tell you a little bit of how I get into bonsai, but somewhere in there, I started with bonsai and, um, how, and how, old, do you, how old were you? Do you remember? Well, my parents gave me for my 15th birthday, they gave me a little procumbens mm-hmm. juniper, right? And um, they bought it in one of those small, small kiosks. And, you know, typically they tell you, oh, you keep it by the window, you spray it every single day, and it'll thrive, right? Yeah. I'm like, well, that's, that's simple enough. That's, that's cool. I think I can do this. And so I did. I kept it in the window. I sprayed it every single day. I, I even got a humidity tray, right? So I was doing everything right, or so I thought. And then about a week later, it started, you know, needles started turning yellow. Second week was pretty much all turning very right. yellow. <laughs> and uh, by the third week, it's pretty much dead. Mm. It's all dead. So I'm like, so I just chucked it up at the fact that I, it was this mystical thing that I, uh, that I wasn't good at, right? It, it had some kind of magic behind it, and I didn't understand it. So I said, ah, this is too difficult, whatever. I'll just, you know, I'll do something else. And I've always been very passionate about growing stuff, like growing plants and stuff like that. And But I said, yeah, maybe bonsai, this thing that they call bonsai is not, not my thing. So I left it. And um, it was later when I graduated from college that I was living with my parents at the time. I didn't you know, I said, oh, you know, free living. I went to the basement. They, you know, put me in the basement. And mm-hmm. I, I was looking around. I said, let me, let me make a really, I wanted to make a really cool, like, basement for myself. You know, kind of a little bit of a studio with, like, sleeping quarters or whatever. And then I started looking around. I said, yeah, I think I'm going to decorate this place. Really, really cool. And, and then I got this, for some reason, I got this idea that in the corner of that, of that, um, of that, my new pad, if you will, bachelor's pad, I, I could grow a bonsai. And I said, I'll put some spotlights in it, in the corner, and I'll just grow this bonsai. So long story short, I went to a place in Manhattan that were selling at the time. Uh, this was a long time ago. They were selling trees, uh, bonsai. And I wanted to buy, I, I wanted to buy this huge juniper. Mm. It was another procumbens. And, there's there's a lady there, a sales lady, that told me something that completely changed my perspective and my approach to bonsai. I, and all of a sudden, I kind of understood it. Um, and she said, you know, you realize that these are real trees. This is not, bonsai is not a type of tree. Bonsai is an art form. And um, it's a, these are real trees that need, they, they like the cold, they need a winter rest. And all of a sudden, with those few words, really kind of blew my mind it was like wow i i i get it i thought that this was like a type of weird tree bonsai i don't know Mm -hmm. but it's really an art form right and um so that changed that that started to change my perspective and understanding of of what bonsai was so i started doing some research and stuff like that i said forget about keeping it indoors obviously i knew now better so i started keeping bonsai uh at my parents house when i was living with them but I will say, and I've been doing bonsai for almost 30 years now. However, with that being said, I would also say that um, out of those 30 years, it's safe to say that I lost I lost 20 of those 30, mm. sadly enough. Sadly enough, because there was not, at that time, there was no internet. There was no real 
you know, free education, if you will. Nowadays, I can jump in YouTube or whatever, and you can get all this information. Of course, there's a lot of misinformation, but that's another yeah. story. Yeah. But um, so I, you know, it, it was something that I was kind of keeping as a hobby. But in the last 10 years, I think in 2010, and that coincided actually with some of you guys like Ryan Neal coming out of Japan. And I was looking at your some of your work coming out of out of that. And I said, oh, my God, these guys are bringing a whole new game. Mm. This is this is incredible. Seriously. Um, and for me, I started really kind of honing my artistic skills towards bonsai. I left kind of painting and drawing on the side. And I sort of replaced, sort of reinvented myself as a creative person, as an artist through bonsai. Because for, for me, bonsai, I, I realized that through bonsai or, or bonsai itself really could be just uh, uh, as creative, right? As powerfully creative and expressive as painting or drawing or writing or dance or whatever. It's an art form. So I really started thinking about this as an art form. And, and so that's why I say I kind of reinvented myself in the last 10, 11 years. That's when I really kind of focus on it. Um, and I'm still obviously learning a lot in the process, but I'm taking it much, much more seriously. Before it was a hobby mm -hmm. for me now is a sick, and I say this very happily because I, I, I don't think it's a negative thing, a ne negative connotation. I, I treat it as a second job, but I, but a job that I absolutely, absolutely love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very obvious that you've chosen to pursue it at a very serious level of dedication. It's very clear. And it's, it's an interesting thing when, when you see somebody cross over that threshold because, you know, going to Japan and learning what it's like to pursue bonsai as a professional, I, I, mean, I was passionate. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone to Japan. But you don't know what bonsai is when you start to pursue it as a lifestyle and when you cross sure. over that threshold. But you do start to identify when people make that change. I mean, I saw Todd Schlafer make that change Oh, yeah. yeah, you've seen there's been a lot of a lot of people in in the recent, I would say, yeah, five, eight, ten years that are starting to make that big shift. And this is something that happened in Europe where you saw a lot of students and dedicated practitioners. Yeah. And you can go back to the very beginning of Europe and, and talk about some of the original very high impact personalities that had a massive influence you you Absolutely. look at Italy and the the role of Salvatore and some of those figures in Italy yeah. and and sort of the spread of bonsai as a product of his initial mentorship of a lot of students and stuff and seeing the rise of the level in Europe follow that transition of a lot more people turning the corner and now starting to pursue yeah. it as a lifestyle it's it's really really exciting to me in the United States to see people like you and Todd and others that are really making that commitment turn that corner and it's just like wow more more uh, of an interpretation more high quality more advancement of skills and techniques and species exploration and aesthetic exploration it's just yeah. like really really yeah. exciting it, it is i agree with you i mean i think that this is a point in 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 uh, the history of, of American bonsai is very exciting. It's almost like a renaissance. You got a lot of young guys, yourself included, obviously, 
Uh, you got, you know, the likes of Michael Hagedorn. And uh, it is an exciting, it's, it's an exciting time. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I would like to be even in a small way, I like to be part of that, of that movement. Um, for me, it's incredibly exciting, incredibly exciting to see kind of young people. I mean, I, I'm, I started doing workshops now about uh, two years ago. And in these workshops, you have all kinds of uh, age demos. You know, you have young guys, and it's exciting to see them engaging in the in the bonsai, um, you know, uh, sort of art form, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're, I know that you deal with coniferous trees and coniferous design. That my initial exposure to your work came from your deciduous work, and I'm now as you continue to produce more. A documentation of your work, I recognize how well-rounded you are, but I uh, initially I associated you with deciduous. The thing about it was you were styling deciduous, deciduous. You were changing their shapes and forms through application of technique. It wasn't like a, wasn't like a 20 year clip and grow process where with a deciduous, you can earn sort of via the, 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 you can earn via the the arduous dedication to yeah. uh, application of technique. You can earn through age a really beautiful tree, but you are implementing your design concepts and aesthetics on deciduous. And I'm just curious, where did that, where did the passion for deciduous begin? Because I don't see a lot of people sure. taking that initiative with deciduous to style deciduous, to create deciduous. I see people growing deciduous, but this is these are two different things, right? Yes, yes. Um, I would say, well, the, I think the, the first thing I would say about uh, deciduous is that for some reason, and I'm not sure how far back it is, but I've always, some, something about deciduous that, that sort of um, kind of connected with me in a, in a way, I would say. Um, obviously, I'm going to mention the obvious, which is, you know, they're ever-changing. Mm-hmm. Every season brings something different, right? You have Japanese maples, who happens, which happens to be one of my favorite uh, species that you see something interesting, different every season. The lushness in summer, and of course, it, the fine tracery in 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 winter. But I think it does go a little bit deeper than that for me. Uh, and I always kind of equated, related back uh, to my art background when I was when I was in, back in the day when I was painting. Um, my paintings were not of that of a true painter. Uh, meaning that my paintings were defined with by line rather than by masses of of brushstrokes of of color, so I always had a tendency to define very clearly the 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 contours of my objects, whatever I was painting. Right. So how does that relate to bonsai, or how does it relate specifically to the deciduous? Is that you know we grow mostly deciduous to be appreciated, of course, for their, you know, in winter. Yeah. And I equate that in the sense that when I see this tracery of, of, of branches, to me, that's line rather than masses. For example, for me, conifers is about mass mm-hmm. because they're always there, right? It's almost these, these broad, broad brush strokes of color. In this case, of course, is, is green, but to me, I read conifers as mass rather than line. And yes, of course, we can argue that, yes, you are very cognizant when you're designing a, a conifer of line as well, for sure. But I think more so in deciduous. And I think that's why 
my kind of uh, interest in the CGs, I think kind of goes back um, in a subconscious way to, to that uh, sort of desire to, to delineate, to kind of define things through line. And in fact, I was telling somebody the other day, I love, I, I, I say, you know, I'm a big believer in wiring even the CGs trees. I wire them from, from head to toe, basically, all the way to the tips particularly when, when I am starting with a, with a tree, right? Um, and I tell the person, I told this, this person that for me it was a way to draw my trees. When I wire them, it was a way for me to kind of draw the trees. And of course, I always say too that um, as, as the tree kind of matures, as, as that design kind of settles and matures, you know, uh, the, the, I think the objective is to wire less mm -hmm. and let the natural sort of habit, the growth habit of that tree take over. And that's how you get this sort of very natural kind of feel to, to, uh, to the citrus trees. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you develop? Because uh, obviously your art background had a major influence, but yeah. then how did you develop your techniques? I mean, is this self-taught? Is this studying with individuals? Is this just observation? Where did this, because you have a high level of technique and that self-initiated education of technique, this to me is one of the most impressive things that people are doing in bonsai now. I, I, I mean, Mr. Kimura... <clears throat> more or less sort of force yeah. force that into me as his apprenticeship yeah. you know it's just a part of it but yeah where'd that come from um i would say the first thing i would say is that i'm, I'm largely self-taught um you know you have today the internet you have you can go to youtube so that's how i started learning picking up things no doubt about it that my artistic background kind of helped me figure some of that yeah. stuff out yeah but but i also i also would say that is not completely accurate if i tell you right now oh yeah i'm completely self-taught because yeah well i'm largely self self-taught lately in the last i would say maybe three years or so of my 10-year kind of uh, reinvention if you will uh this renaissance that i'm going through you have you know, again, Mirai Life. Okay, so that's, and for anybody that will listen to this podcast, super highly recommended. I'm, I'm, I'm giving a shameless plug here, but that <laughs> has been, that has been a, such a rich source of information that is really incredible. So you have Mirai Life. Then I have, I have had professionals in my garden like Mara Stenberger. I had Bjorn and I have studied. I took a master class with uh, Dilva Vanis. Mm. So to say that I'm completely self-taught, it's not accurate. Um, but, you know, and even Bill had me ask me the same thing. Uh, how, do you, how do you pick all this stuff up? I'm like, well, again, I chuck it to, the, to, to my artistic kind of background that sort of helped me uh, you know, kind of figure some, some of the things out. For sure, I would say that one of my biggest regrets is not being able to study with somebody um, at a fairly consistent basis because what I could have probably learned in maybe a week or even less might have taken me a year or yeah. more to kind of figure that out. So it, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a little bit of a climbing a, a very, very tall mountain. Uh, I'm getting to the point where technically 
you know, I'm still learning for sure, but I'm, you know, I have gotten fairly proficient with some of the techniques that I'm able to kind of, uh, you know, kind of find my way through, through certain uh, problems and stuff like that, that, that may arise, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so definitely, you know, things like, again, Mirai Life have been an incredible resource for me because you guys not only explain, you know, the, the aesthetics of it, but the science of it, mm-hmm. the science of it, which is not a lot of people talk about that. Right. And that, that's what I kind of needed because my background is really artistic, but from a horticultural background, I, I, I had to learn a lot Yeah. I, because I was doing stuff. And I'm like, well, I don't know why I'm doing it. And I need, I, I wanted to know why I was doing certain things and, and get, do the why, the timing, and then know the response that mm-hmm. you're going to get from the tree. So interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, uh, I would argue, I would argue, although I, I, I definitely recognize where it's like, hey, something that you could have, you could have learned over a week, took you a year. I would almost argue that it's, it's like you earned your stripes and that is what, it, it was probably a longer hill to climb, but potentially the view at the top is going to be of a more beautiful, appreciable level from your work because of the journey that you've had to go through to gain that. And I also think it's probably what allows you, both in your work as well as as you're becoming a more and more uh, in-demand speaker and educator, is probably going to allow you to connect with people that I think that's the basic bonsai experience is that uh, it's it's kind of a grueling test of grit and determination to find these freaking answers and this and decrease yes. the mysticism of this art yes. form because it is yes. very, very intense and it's deep. It, it, it absolutely is. And, you know, the thing, the frustrating part about it is like, for example, I have this Shishigashira material that I have that I'm going to re kind of compose i have three main trees and i'm gonna make that into probably a five or seven seven tree forest but here's the thing you know i i've done quite a bit of uh, air layering for example so out of those three trees i'm gonna get set i'm gonna get four more through air layering and uh i you know did my thing the ring bark technique whatever and there was one that I just and i did everything right quote unquote right put everything put my hormone the whole thing and it just would not root. I had to do it a second time, and it did. So I think the point here is that as soon as you f- think that you have something figured out, the problem with bonsai is that it's ruled by Mother Nature ultimately. And Mother yeah. Nature may tell you, yeah, you know what? Not not this time. Not this time. <laughs> <laughs> not this time. <laughs> and I, you go, but why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. We hit our 10th year at Mirai on april 15th thank you yeah thank you yeah it was awesome. yeah it was it was great but i i have to be and i i just uh i had dinner dinner with randy knight uh last night and dave yeah. dave de uh came and did a podcast with us yesterday i haven't talked with dave okay. for uh, several years now yeah. and he, he was very influential for me when i came back from japan as um at the pacific rim collection before it became the pacific bonsai museum but uh, I was telling both of them, I was like, 10 years in, I, I would have thought that I would have a far better handle on cultivating bonsai of all of these Western species that not many people really have a lot yeah. of fundamental knowledge around. I would have thought sure. I would have had a better handle on it by now. Because 10 years in, 
every winter continues to be a different winter. Every spring continues yeah. to be a different spring. And, and it's yeah. like the challenges do not stop. They do not yeah. stop coming. And I don't know, do you experience that same thing in the Northeastern United States? Oh, sure. sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there was one year, maybe three or four years ago that, uh, something, something happened. I, I, and I, this is the frustrating part. Sometimes you cannot find the answer. And if I could, if, if something happened, but I could find the answer that would make me feel better because I can move forward knowing that not to make that mistake again. But this time I didn't know I, I went overwinter my trees in my garage, which that's a whole different thing because I, I would like to get a greenhouse that's that's in the works but right now that's what I that's what I do mm-hmm. I've been doing that for years and it works but something happened coming out of that spring and I lost a lot of uh I lost in some of the some of the trees I lost branches mm-hmm. and uh I I just did not know why honestly and yeah I mean the northeast is as you know is it's just we get frigid frigid uh, winters and uh, you know we have to contend with that um, so that's that's the main piece of it that is is difficult for us here but yeah absolutely I mean from from year to year you know very hot summers they were having relatively a cool summer now well this is actually happy summer solstice by the way yeah, today right. is the first day of summer that's right. so Happy there you solstice. have it there let, it is. yeah let's let's hope that uh it's a, well at least here it's been relatively cool but um but yeah and actually right now i'm i'm growing species from from the northwest pacific northwest where you are mm-hmm. here that thus far i've had luck with like i know people that cannot grow engelman spruce and i have no problems with it they say, no, you know, you can. I don't know the reason whether it's too humid or too dry. I mean, it's certainly not dry here. It's pretty, fairly humid. But, um, but you know, uh, yeah. So, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's definitely a challenge. Nature throws you all kinds of curveballs curve that, that you never know where they're going to come from, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. It is tough. It is, it's, it is this thing. It's like why I say it's the fourth dimension. It's like, you know, it's like sculpture, but it's, it's alive and, and it's wonderful. But at the same time can be, as you well know, it can be very frustrating. Oh, very frustrating. I had, um, I have a, a, an Arakawa maple, uh, that this year, an Arakawa and I would charge pygmy as a, a supermatum that, um, out of out of the winter, I noticed some of the branch, you know, small branches had died on me, and I'm and I had dialed in the design pretty good. What, they were not finished trees, but I would say in another couple of years it would have been kind of quote unquote, you know, finished, mm-hmm. and uh, that set me back. But I I did notice that there was a pattern with the the branches that I was losing, and it was because they were all interior branches, and I realized these trees need to kind of be sort of reinvigorated in a way so i had to go back and i had to cut cut a lot back in order to kind of make sure that all that interior stuff stays very kind of uh you know thriving and healthy yeah but i had lost because you get enamored with all this ramification and all of a sudden the tree says you know what i don't need that little thing i don't need that and i'm gonna shed that and and it starts making decisions for you right yeah so yeah, it's um, 
over the course of the, let's see, late fall, early winter, when my senpai, Fujikawa, came to Mirai, uh, it was really interesting. It was really interesting to have a conversation with him because obviously being being trained at Mr. Kimura's, uh, M- Mr. Kimura, I would say, is a very moderate practitioner of fertilizer application. I, I would say right. as much as people tend to look at like his styling work and think of it as severe, I would say he's still very moderate in terms of foliar reduction, branch removal. Like he, 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 he maintains, I think, a really wonderful balance. And there are a lot of professionals in Japan that tend to push it way farther. And one thing that Mr. Fujikawa kept telling me is, you know, you can fertilize maples just an exorbitant amount. And you see images of trees coming from Japan that have, you can't even hardly see the soil. There's so much fertilizer on it, you know, and this is not something that I've experienced uh, necessarily or applied or tried. But, um, and with that, he's saying, you know, basically you can fully defoliate before the leaves ever harden off and it does this and that and shishigashira you can do this way and that way (laughs) and it's it's like this interesting thing but the other thing that comes with that is this constant reinvigoration of highly water conductive branching and so to hear you talk about that and to myself have played with i would say both sides of the fertilizer spectrum like we've gone super hard at mirai on on years um we've pulled back too far on years We tried the whole compost uh, extract thing last year, total nightmare. Uh, and <laughs> and o- overall, like I've, I have a massive test subject in terms of each species that I cultivate at Mirai. I don't want yeah. two or three of. I want ten or twenty of because then you start to be able to pick out the patterns. A of, pattern, yeah, yeah. patterns yeah. of soil, of exposure, of application, of technique, of fertilizer, of sure. time, all of the stuff, right? All of the nuances and that. I do look at Mirai as an incubator to be testing, mainly because there is so much knowledge. Oh, you can't grow Engelmann spruce in the Northeast. Somebody is telling you that. Well, I know this to not be true. I mean, you're having success with mountain hemlock, and some people have said it can't be grown outside of the Pacific Northwest. Best hemlock in the country exists in Cleveland, Ohio, right? Yeah. So, so when I start looking at all of that stuff, you know that this is knowledge that is not improving bonsai in North America, it's taking away from bonsai in North America. So to be a facility that fall, falls on the grenade a little bit, you know, so to speak, it's like, well, yeah. let's get down to the bones of, of each of these things. And really, because, because I'm here every day and I've got a wonderful uh, sidekick in Troy where we are attentive to the trees and can push the, the envelope, it's been really interesting. And honestly, the 10 years in, this is the worst spring I've ever had in my career. Like you're talking, really? to, oh God, man, it's been a monster. And why is that? Ron? Yeah. Yeah. People. And I think people always wonder, you know, like they talk about um, it's, it, it's, it's sort of reaffirming to know that professionals have a lack of success as well. I, I have no qualms with sharing a uh, lack of success. And this year has been a total lack of success. Um, we've had, um, continual rain and temperatures in the fifties and potentially sixties with a few spikes, but it's just been too cold. It's been consistently wet. There is, uh, uh, I would say an increasing quantity of root molds and, uh, root rot pathogens that are accumulating in the Pacific Northwest with warming temperatures. We have uh, a significant insect population because we haven't had cold winters for, uh, you know, a hand, uh, I would say, a handful of years now. 
So there's a lot of factors that start to accumulate. Yeah. You can talk about facilities in terms of we have wood benches, which I think they're fantastic, but they also do harbor pathogens. If you're not on top of maintenance, I've got a evolving landscape and ecosystem surrounding the garden that turns into its own environment that, um, that I'm trying to strike a balance with, with beneficial insects, a reduction of use of chemicals, all of these things. We did the experimental compost uh last year we played with soil yep. nutrition at the same time and um it, you know honestly each of these challenges that we face at mirai because they're applied on a scale of eight or nine hundred trees you get to see the full spectrum and there are some wild yep. radical successes in there where you start to say why is the why are these three successful and the other seven of this species not you know what is the difference and the biggest thing that I've learned this year, as much as we want to try and simplify bonsai to understand a grand solution to the mystery of this thing, what I've had to do this spring across the board, and if you say, okay, there's 900 trees at Mirai, well, I would say that there's probably, I would say that there's probably 80 to 100 trees that are struggling. So it's not in the grand scheme of things a vast majority of the garden. But when you have 900 trees and 80 trees are struggling, to deal with 80 struggling trees is a ton of work. This is a monstrosity of a load, right? And each one of them, even if they're displaying similar symptoms or issues, I've found that the solution to each tree is unique to that tree. And that has been really uh, intimidating to me. Wow. Because all of a sudden you're, you're trying to find a blanket, right? You're trying to find oh, a, a sure. singular solution to bonsai. Um, sure. But there is, a, there is an interesting consistency. And, and this is what I really appreciated about studying with Mr. Kimura. Whenever he yeah. had a problem with a tree, he always went back to the very fundamental aspect of water and oxygen. You, you know, and it was like, no matter what the problem, it's a pathogen, it's an right. insect, it's an it's a abnormal drop of needles, it's a lack of vigorous growth. He always went back to the same thing. And, and ultimately, as I've tried to find all of these different, you know, reasons, solutions, we send tests to labs, we understand pathogens better, it all goes back, it all goes back to the same mechanism. Just, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that, that uh, kind of reminds me in a super much smaller scale, obviously, than, than Mirai, but I lost, I lost a whole entire forest last year of Japanese maples because we had a very wet and very cold spring, mm -hmm. and I wasn't on top of it, and all of a sudden, the fungus, whatever it was, just just took all the trees out. Yeah. Took, you know, that was heartbreaking, but... Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that was, you know, climate related. So at least I knew the, the what sort of the answer was on that. But, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I feel for you, man, to have like 80, 80 trees, 80 plus trees struggling. You're saying it's a ton of work. I absolutely believe it, man. That is, uh, and, and to say on top of it that, that it is to, it is um, related to an individual tree, not necessarily like you were saying, like an umbrella kind of solution. That's got to be, that's got to be pretty frustrating. But um, it's but daunting. We, it's, but, it's daunting. But, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, but you know, uh, the rest of us will eventually benefit from from whatever from you know 
the, the work that you guys basically keep doing at Mirai. So, uh, as, as we're always, so yeah. 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 And I, and I, but, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I, I like that. I, I, I don't have, um, yeah. you know, it's discouraging and it's a lot of work and stuff, but it's also, if every tree were just healthy every year and you just kept moving forward, although that would be a real relief and that would be a low pressure environment, you're not really going to have the skills to respond when that special tree. And there have been, there's three trees that I've lost at Mirai that I will never forget. Uh, and, and it's not like I've only ever lost three trees at Mirai, but I would say that we, I would say that we have a very good track record of being able to bring trees back from the brink. Right. Um, but there were three trees that I have not been able to wreck that I was not able to rectify the issue at Mirai. And those are the ones that I continue to, whenever a tree has a problem sort of reference as how can I, how can I act in a way that allows me to stay ahead of getting to that, to that problem, you know, that failure, that degree of failure. Sure. Sure. And, um, those are, those are the ones that make you a better bonsai yeah. practitioner, I think. Yeah, I believe it. As frustrating as, as a process as, as it may be, it is so, I mean, I, I'm getting to the point where, you know, I lose a small branch and I'm like, that that just ruins my day. <laughs> just, <laughs> just ruins my day. I'm like, yeah. why did I lose that branch? I yeah. should have lost that branch. But uh, it is it is part of the game. It is, it is the name of the game. And, uh, you know, you're dealing, you're playing with nature. Um, uh, at a in a way in a sort of special and and high level uh, way. So um, yeah, yeah, it's gonna happen. But um, yeah, I liked um, one thing that I've in talking to you and and um, you know recognizing you you have clearly had a quick capacity to absorb a lot of quality and execute a lot of quality based on the unique skill set that you have and and every individual person has this skill set and being in Europe this year for the trophy I spent a day at the Ginkgo Center with Danny Danius yeah and he grew up and I didn't know this we you know we podcasted with him and I um his family is a uh, several generation um nursery practitioners and he grew up in greenhouses and and grew up in in the nursery cultivation uh sort of lifestyle and he had done a demonstration at Saliu in France, I believe. I believe it was last year. Maybe it was last year. And he planted two trees, uh, J- uh, Sabina juniper and uh, a Mugo pine, on uh, some Jan Kulik, Kulik uh, vertical stones. And I'm seeing this. And Saliu is a is a October exhibition. So this this is typically not. I would I would never think of repotting a juniper in October, right? And so when I went to his facility, I wanted to see these trees, right? I was like, yeah. well, how did, how did that work out? Because I thought they were spectacular executions. And I've always had a lot of respect for Danny because he was one of the first Westerners in my mind to be doing bonsai on a high level Absolutely. B- before a lot of people had ever even apprenticed there. Right. And yeah. so then I, I went there and I was asking him and we were walking around and he's like, oh, I planted this on that stone. And it was a it was an aggressive repot from watching what happened uh, in in the demonstration, and the tree was in a pot. And he said, "I planted it on a stone, but I actually like it better in a pot." So I took it off the stone and I put it back in a pot. And this is something that I could not fathom ever doing. Right, first of all, I couldn't fathom potting a juniper on a stone in the middle of October. 
And then I couldn't fathom turning around and taking that tree off of that stone and putting it back in a pot at a different angle in less than a year. Okay, I, like this is not within the realm for me. I, I, I can't yeah. fathom this, right? I function very slow with, with the way I handle my trees. But I was also watching him work, move through his greenhouses and water just sort of as I was killing time and observing and just watching him behave and stuff. And for him, he made a comment where he said, listen, most people that are propagating via cutting in the bonsai world are happy if, say, five or seven of their 10 cuttings take. And he said, but my father would have stayed up for a, a countless number of nights to figure out why one had failed. And he said, this is the difference. The horticulture for me is second nature. It's intuitive. It is what it is. And that's what allows him to put that on that stone in October sure. and take it off and put it in a pot. This is what allowed him sure. to manage the juniper that I did in the demonstration at the trophy last year where I kind of turned it upside down and, and potted yeah. it. I didn't have any problem with Danny managing that. He potted both the Sabina and the Mugo that I demonstrated on this year right afterwards. I never would have done that. And I have no doubt that they're healthy because Danny has that nuance each of us brings that capacity into the art form and there is to some degree a little magic that exists in each one of us that is unique to our skill sets and our capacity to do something that nobody else can do you know and i've sure i, I sure. have really come to cherish that and the reason that i go through this big long-winded discussion of this is i saw a piece of your work whether i think it was a japanese maple where you'd taken a branch off of the tree and you'd grafted yes. it into the base. And yes. I wanted to come back, and I just wanted to ask you about that in terms of sure. how you did it and then how you obtained sure. the technique to do it. Because that's no joke. What you did is no joke. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm actually looking at it right now as I'm looking out the window. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so that piece of material I got from a grower originally in upstate New York. And I, you know, I, I bought it online, whatever. And when I got it, I, I sat on it in two, this is 2009. Um, I sat on it for maybe a couple of years and I kind of grew it. It was kind of nice and full and whatever. And that was around the time, right. That I was kind of reinventing myself. I really kind of, focusing my my whatever skill sets whatever artistic uh, abilities i had into bonsai i was pouring myself into bonsai and i was looking at it and i said i think i can do better and uh i was looking at the piece of material this japanese maple and um it was a at best it was an average piece of material and i was getting kind of bored with it and i said um you know, I was looking at it and then immediately thought you know what i'm gonna get rid of this because i think i can do better now and I was looking at it, I was looking at it, and I was kind of turning it around and stuff like that. This was uh, one winter, right, when it was all bare. And, um, and I, I, for some reason, I, I saw an angle that, I, that interests me. And all of a sudden, uh, I think the light bulb went on. And I said, okay, I think I can turn this into a twin trunk design if I switch the front of this tree i can what i need to do is i need to air layer right uh a, a branch mm -hmm. because otherwise you can you can graft two trees together as you know but then you will end up with two different kind of leaf and autumn color and stuff like that which is not ideal some people think it's cool i think it's not not ideal aesthetically not, not an ideal way to go but anyway so i needed to 
air layer that branch. So I said, if I remove this lower branch, that will give me the space for that second trunk. So I air layer that successfully. It took me about a whole season to do so. Planted on a pot, waited until the following year, make, making sure that that air layer was doing well. And, uh, and I just, uh, and that was a time where I was like, not, you know, I, I kind of figure it out, but I, I wasn't, it wasn't like there was a tutorial on how to do it. I said, I, I kind of say, well, if I cut, it's essentially what I did is an approach graph, right? So I cut uh, a, a really big groove on the, on the actual base of the trunk. Mm. And I attached the, uh, the air layer to it, um, you know, cutting a little bit of, of that, right, to expose both cambium layers. Yeah. And I just joined it. And, um, and that, was, that was pretty much it. So, and it thrived. And, you know, that's, that's a special treat to me because I was, able, I was able to really transform a piece of very average material into something, I think, kind of uh, more interesting for sure. Uh, with with uh, techniques that are relatively um, easy as far as like easy to grasp and I think relatively easy to execute with enough practice. In, in my workshops, I always say that um, I always encourage people to make sure that they kind of practice and ma even master things like air layering, things like grafting, because mm -hmm. I, can, I, I tell them you can exponentially elevate the quality of your material through these fairly simple techniques. Of course, you have two, two issues, right, with, uh, with things like uh, grafting. It's got to be successful, obviously, mm. but it also has to look natural. Right. Because if it doesn't look natural, then where, where, where does that leave you? Yeah. Um, so I, I, that, that tree was, is very special to me because it kind of showed me what I call horticultural acrobatics in a way. That's one thing that I love about the citrus is that you can perform, you can certainly do it, I think, to a degree with conifers, but with the citrus, because they have high water mobility, you can you can perform a lot of these acrobatics, uh, you know, and really transform a tree. Uh, right now I'm working with a multi-trunk uh, Japanese maple. It's actually quite big from, I originally got that from the Kenneth Collection. And that is really asking me to pull every single trick that I know thus far to be able to bring that tree uh, to its former glory. Mm. Uh, in, in the process of bringing it to Japan, one trunk died. Uh, it left a whole trunk without branches on one side, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that I'm doing, actually, interesting enough, and you're obviously familiar with this, is I'm applying one of the Ebihara um, techniques, uh. which is relocating a branch from one side to the other. Now, I, I am in the beginning process of that, so I cannot claim success on that, but but I am going to give, give that a shot. So that's uh, because I, when you explain the way that you air layered the branch off of the Japanese maple and then grafted it into the base of the trunk it makes sense and i was going to ask you or in understanding that process i was i was wondering if you had used the peg technique where uh, the bottom of the air layer would be carved into a perfect fit where then you would unite it which is the ab one of the abihara techniques but but even i would say you, you know like you're saying 
to master the technique, to understand how to graft into air layer and to do these things. But interestingly enough, you couldn't have had the experience of doing that kind of technical execution of, of grafting the air layered maple to the base. This came off the top of your head and I'm sure you thought about it a lot before you executed it, but you got one chance to be good at that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a one and done, right? Complete, yeah. Complete failure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, no doubt about it that I, I, I must have picked up the basic concept of, of grafting from, I don't know, from where, whether it was uh, internet, YouTube, or something. So I, I kind of understood the concept, but, but of course, uh, you know, the, 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 the challenge here is that, yeah, okay, you got to be successful. It's got to take, but then it has to look natural. It's got to look good. Otherwise, again, uh, you know, that, that leaves us with nothing. Yeah. So, uh, I'm I'm thankful that it worked out. Um, it, it's thriving. That that little trunk has has sticking up quite a bit, and the and the point of um, where it's joining with the with the mother tree is uh, is getting kind of wider and looks looking more natural. So um, I'm quite quite pleased. I, I have to say with that experiment. In fact, I I got so encouraged by that that I have another large Japanese maple that I did the same thing. I said I think I'm going to turn this into a twin trunk. And so now I'm, I grafted this little trunk. It's a very different kind of tree, but I but I I went ahead and uh, and I grafted a small tree underneath it. I have a tendency to love um, kind of low growth on deciduous trees, sort of like either clump or or multi trunk kind of kind of trees. I love that. I love that. I think that there's something very sort of natural about it um, for me anyway. Uh, and particularly in the sieges trees. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't favor anything that has what they call a long neck and then just branches on the top. I always like that kind of very sort of low up and out kind of growth on on the sieges. Yeah. Um, one of one of the hardest things that I, for me, still, and I think that's why it it, it challenges me and engages me is that is finding that in that sort of internal rhythm to the to the, to the tree to the branches how do they relate to each other how do they relate to the trunk and is 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 um is something that uh, I'm passionate about I'm very cognizant of that I don't I don't necessarily nail it every time but I'm very much uh in pursuit of it is that internal rhythm of the tree kind of has a certain kind of movement even in the in in some of the trees are feel like in their in their own style feel almost like um you know they're they're not necessarily moving very dramatically to one side or the other but even if they're kind of like standing there there's got to be this sort of kind of movement to it even if it's very subtle that i think in my opinion kind of defines a a great tree from a good tree Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. It's really, really difficult. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's definitely a, a challenging thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely a challenging thing for me, for sure. Yeah, but you can see it. You can see the understanding. You can see the, I, I, I think you can see the very proficient pursuit of that uh, intentional aspect in the design of your trees. I actually think what you just described is what draws me to your work so much is the fact that you are 
seeking that and that 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 quest is visible in the intentional lines that you're creating in your work, which comes back to finding it really interesting that you do go ahead and wire out every branch and really pursue in the initiation of a design on deciduous. I think a level of um, design direction that a lot of people kind of have avoided or been taught to avoid in deciduous up to this point. And that's really where at Mariah, as we have facilities that allow us to protect our deciduous from deer, which tends to be a nightmare. And I, I think you probably have, have to protect them there as well. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, I see a lot of opportunity to play in the deciduous realm. They have high water mobility. Yeah. They respond rapidly. Yeah. You get, you do as much as everybody says it takes forever. It's like, well, does it, does it, it takes forever to get to that highest level for any tree, yeah. conifer or yeah. deciduous, right? Absolutely. This Absolutely. Is... Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, and that's a good question. Actually, you know, we we are taught to say right that they take a long time to see just to really kind of build it and to a certain degree but to your point but so so do conifers as well absolutely to get it to dive into like that high level of you know finish it takes a long time but i've been you know i've been able to basically take i mean i i had a, a kashima japanese maple i sold it um two years ago but i Killed, almost killed the entire tree. Um, I did a stupid thing uh, back in 2012, 13, when I didn't know much better. I put the tree, the tree started budding. Akashima has a nasty habit of like waking up too early. Mm -hmm. So if you're not careful, mid-February, it's already kind of, the buds are, are really swelling. And I still have a long trek ahead before actually get spring here so i'm like uh, uh you cannot wake up so i put it outside and uh i it, it it was exposed to 20 degree weather for two nights and you know because in my mind i said well let me expose it again to cold and let me hold it right mm -hmm. big mistake big mistake because as as, as soon as that bud starts swelling they lose their ability to um to you know to to be basically uh you know um the hardness factor uh you you lose that yep. you lose that yep. so anyway so i took it inside and i was looking at it and uh those red buds started turning to like a dark dark red and i said ah oh, and you can see the the bark kind of shriveling mm -hmm. and i said ah i lost so long story short i had to the tree survived. The trunk itself survived with some of the main branches, but through, actually, I will tell you, through actually defoliation techniques, I was able in six years, I was able to kind of really bring it to almost, like you, if you look at the pictures, you you almost would think it is, is a finished tree, even though the, the, the apex itself still needed another maybe three, four years. But I was able to kind of really expedite the process um, through, through techniques of defoliation. Mm. Um, so, you know, but, um, but yeah, so do they take a long time? Well, yes and no, mm -hmm. you can develop, you can develop some deciduous trees. I think fairly quickly, yeah. fairly quickly. I think probably quicker. If you apply the right techniques at the right time, I think you can develop them a lot quicker than, than people give them credit for. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. I mean, there is the, the non-fudge factor of, and, and you, you've 
maybe quantified it and described it more uh, accurately than I've ever heard before, whereas it is a line drawing and a deciduous versus more of a color, uh, larger broad brush stroke and a conifer. And I think that's a really, that's a really great way to describe that. But um, I wanted to ask you, where did M5 come from? What's the significance <laughs> yeah. of this? Cause, because sure. in addition to your bonsai work being great, your photography is great. Uh, the way that you handle the distribution of your work is stunning. It's very clear that you have a, a background in design. What is M5? M5, yeah, sure. Um, well, that, that I was born, um, so I belong to this uh, inter, uh, bonsai site uh, called uh, Bonsai Nut. I'm fairly active in, in, in that site, and my handle name is not my name, it's Mach5, mm. M-A-C-H-5. That goes back to when I was a kid. I grew up in Spain. I'm, I'm, I'm Cuban. I was born in Havana, but uh, when I was very little, my, my parents had moved to, from Havana to Madrid in Spain. So that's where I, I grew up. And uh, at that time, there were only two channels, black and white, and only for maybe an hour, two hours a, a day or every other day, I can't remember, they, they, were, they were playing um, uh, Speed Racer uh, in, the, you know, <laughs> in the television. And I remember... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mach 5, which is the vehicle that, uh, that you know, was featured, obviously, in that series. It was the first thing that I could ever really draw almost with my eyes closed. I mean, when I was a kid, I was in class, I remember, and I was, I was obsessed with the Mach 5. And I could draw this car from top to bottom. I knew every single detail. In fact, when I was watching the show, I would get upset if the car got smashed because I'm like, no, not the Mach 5. <laughs> no. And then in the next scene, magically, the car was in perfect order. So right. I was like, oh, thank God, right? But anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, so when I when I joined this site, Bonsai Not. I'm like, what am I going to name myself? Because I don't want to name myself, you know, Sergio Kwan. I just didn't I say, oh, what about Mach 5? Because there's, there's a little bit of a story there, right? Yeah. So I, I'm Mach 5. In fact, it's funny because when I started going to some of these conventions, people did not, the people knew me by Mach 5, not Sergio. They, they, they did not know my name. So you say, oh, there's Mach 5, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, but, so when I, when I started kind of sort of created, if you will, my bonsai brand, if you can call it that, I did not want to do Mach 5 because uh, I was worried that, you know, there was some kind of, uh, you know, legal problem, legal issue with, with uh, me borrowing the Mach 5 name. So I shortened it basically to M5 mm. Bonsai Works. So that's how kind of all came, you know, to be. Um, I have, uh, I definitely have a background in branding and uh, I've done a lot of photography and stuff like that. So I've used all, all those skills that I picked up in my, in my actual job, I've used, uh, to, you know, to not only, uh, to design my website and promote myself and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I, I've, it has helped me for sure that, that kind of having that kind of, uh, background basically in branding God, I'm so but that's glad. Yeah. so glad i yeah. asked you that question that was awesome 
that's so that's so cool oh man no not 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 random by any stretch of the imagination this goes back to the root of sergio as a child that is epic i'm so happy yeah, it, that we it really does about that. it really does <laughs> that's cool all right Where, what's the what's the um because over the past 10 years, you've invested heavily in yourself and your bonsai practice. What's, yeah. wh- where do you want to go with it? Like, uh, is this going to become something that's an even bigger part of your life? Are you happy just doing it, it as an expression of yourself? What, what, what does it look like? It's a, it's a great question, uh, Ryan, and I'm not sure that I can fully, that I fully have the answer to that. Um, I think right now I'm enjoying myself as as a, as an extension of myself as a creative extension. Mm. Basically, that's number one. Number two, um, I've become a little more and more involved in doing workshops and talks and stuff like that, which I enjoy um, because I, I love to meet new people. I love to. I mean, I just recently, right before COVID hit hit um, back in February, uh, Bob. Uh, Bob Bressler, who I know well, he says, hey, I want to bring you, um, well, it was, I mean, this was about a year ago. He says, I want to bring you over to um, to Los Angeles for a whole week. Mm. So I was like, wow, cool. You know, so anyway, I'm enjoying that aspect of it, uh, the educational aspect of it. I, I try to offer quality education. I mean, uh, you're, you're an, a perfect example in, hugely inspiring to me in the way you kind of handle Mirai life. I love the fact that, and I actually took a, took, kind of stole that from you because you kind of, what I love about it is when you do Mirai life, you kind of engage your audience, right? You're not just, we're not just watching you making your own decisions. You're like, you're asking the audience, what do you think? How, how are we going to treat this apex? Do, how, what do you think? Should we go left or right? What about this first branch? What about, what about the back? So I think that there is a level of engagement there that I think is 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 really um, I think it's imp- I think it's important. It, it certainly keeps people interested and engaged and almost part of that process. Yeah. So um, I remember doing uh, last year I went to the East Bay Bonsai Society in San Francisco uh, or uh, yeah San Francisco, and uh, I went there for a couple of days and I did a demo and stuff like that. And I totally like, yeah, I, I said to them, this was, this was my first time actually ever to do like a fairly big demo. Uh, there was a fairly large crowd. And I said, you know what? Let's go for broke. Instead of one, I'm going to do two trees at once, two deciduous trees. And, uh, and in the process, I am going to engage the audience and we're going to make decisions together. Nice. And that worked out. I got to say that worked out great, I, I think. Um, it was an interesting exercise to do two trees in two hours, particularly because one, I, it's not something that I've done a lot of. Uh-huh. And the worry too, is that if you notice, most of the demonstrations are conifers, not deciduous. So I was afraid to end up with a trunk and three branches. Uh, that was not the case, thankfully, but I'm like, oh my God, if I end up with one trunk and three branches, people are just going to throw me out of here because <laughs> they're going to say, why did, why did I come to see this? Right. And you know how it is. You know how it is in the seizure street. Sometimes you got to bring it back to the bare bones yeah. in order to, to progress, right? So I was so afraid of that. And that's why I, I think there's not a lot, a lot, a whole lot of the uh demos. But, um, uh, but in any case, 
yeah, so I'm, I'm enjoying that educational aspect of it. I oddly enough, or interesting enough, I should say that every time I do a workshop, I end up getting so much out of it too, mm-hmm. like learning stuff. Even sometimes when I hear myself talk, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you know what? I should listen to my own advice here. I'm trying to give, <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. Sometimes you, I do. Sometimes you don't follow your own advice. Yes. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I think this is the power of teaching though. I, I When I came back from Japan, I didn't come back from Japan being like, I'm going to teach bonsai. Uh, Teaching bonsai was the knowledge that I had gained was I knew there was uh, a capacity to make a living with it. I knew it was valuable and I felt very comfortable sharing knowledge as, um, as, as, as a a means of providing for myself. I I feel less inclined to be selling the really uh, important pieces in the garden as a way to support myself. I would much rather sell knowledge, help students build their skills, confidence, uh, and capacity yeah. to pursue high bones, high level bonsai. Yeah. But I didn't have an aspiration to teach. I, I, I really grew into that. And what teaching gave me was exactly what you just described. Because as I was teaching, I was like, I really need to, if I'm going to be teaching this, I really need to be following through and doing this. I need to be yeah. on point. I need to be thinking about the timing i need to be thinking about the energy i need to if i'm helping students understand this i got to practice what i preach and it's held mariah live especially i think classes started it but mariah live especially has really held me to it because we revisit so many pieces on mariah live and if i'm not following protocol or i'm not doing what i say i'm going to do it, it kind of breaks the whole cycle of really seeing these techniques prove out Sure. And it's sure. it's been fundamental for that my my own growth. Wow. Yeah. I, I think that um I think you have the the talent and the ability, the unique ability to kind of explain what what I often say could be potentially uh complex uh concepts or ideas into ways that are very understandable. Whether you're an expert or you're a beginner, uh, you have that ability to kind of put it out there in a way that that people can process that easily. Um, so I think that that's that's a unique aspect that you're bringing that I don't think. Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't think anybody right now has in the way you kind of explain it. Because um, you know, you 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 see people getting there and just starting trees and doing whatever, but again, they don't really explain to you why. The decisions that you're making, why you're making decisions, but even horticulturally, you kind of have a way to kind of explain it in, in, in some ways that are like, ah, oh, okay, I, I get, I get this, mm-hmm. I get it, I uh, get it. So thank you. I think again, a, a very special kind of thing that that Mirai is bringing to uh, to the bonsai community. So, rock on, man. I appreciate uh, I mean, that. You know, yeah, I, absolutely, do absolutely. You, do you find value in demos? Yep. Did you did you like you you did the demo in San Francisco? No value. I do. I do not. Oh, I do not. interesting. I I do not. Uh, oh, well, let me let me stop short of that. I would say somewhat valuable, somewhat. But I do think that there is. I I, I equate the uh, the demos more to a form of entertainment mm. than than of learning. Uh, in my opinion. Um, I think that there is some value to it. As I'm explaining, I remember explaining why I was doing the why, you know, certain th- certain thing. 
and I think that the people got it, but I, I don't I don't know that demos are are really the best way to to learn. I, I, I for me I've seen demos um that you know it just kind of leaves me with a lot of questions that are not not fully answered. So for me it's more of a form of entertainment, yeah actually than, than a form of learning. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, it's an interesting. I like to I like to ask um, proficient people that question because I think uh, I think there is a general consensus that that demos are inter- entertainment and and not educational. And I guess um, hearing you say, you know, I chose to do two trees at once, and I've never pushed myself in that fashion. I almost view demos as a uh, training ground for mm. the exploration and discovery of areas of weakness that I need to focus on. They, Interesting. They point out, I think, when you're under pressure, and obviously in your workshop, you're not necessarily under pressure, but there is a pressure to bonsai. There's a pressure for you to make that correct cut when you're taking that air-layered branch and you're meshing it with the base of that maple or it's forever ruined. There's a pressure yeah. there. And when you're in a demo, that pressure exists with everything that you execute. And there is a, I, I think that there is a hardening or a, uh, a callousing process that happens that allows you to pursue bigger and more innovative work, explorative work, or technically demanding work in your own time in your workshop when you have to confront the kind of scenarios that you have to confront in a demonstration. So I, I guess I see it as a honing of the blade whenever I demonstrate. And, and that's where it may be selfish. It may completely be self selfish to find value in demonstrations, but I also think there is a necessity in bonsai, particularly for people that don't know where the possibilities exist. I think there's a necessity to expose people to the possibilities. Like yep. my first demo that I ever saw was Yasuo Mitsuya at a Golden State uh, convention in 2002 with all of his apprentices, Kathy Shaner, Dennis Makashima, Boone was on stage wiring a tree. Uh, all of these people up there and they're doing three or four trees at once. And I was just like, I mean, my brain exploded. I was like, this is what bone, this is bonsai. Like, holy cow, this is, and it, it just revved the engine. I didn't learn. I didn't learn anything. I learned that, oh, you can do that. But it was like, oh, that is, that's what's possible. And I felt, I felt that was interesting. Could have completely, could have completely had, you know, if I based my education on demonstrations that I've witnessed, it would be problematic for sure. <laughs> right. Inspirationally though, incredible. And I am so stoked that you chose to do yeah. two trees. You pushed yourself. I, 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 yeah, you know, I did. I, I, I said, I went for broke, man. I said, you know, screw it. I, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do two trees. Cause I, my, my biggest fear is that I want to, I, I was going to bore the audience. I'm like, screw it. Let's do two trees. I had some good, really good helping wire in the trees. And I went from back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between one, you know, one and, and, and the second tree. And I think people enjoyed it. And I think people enjoyed it. It was a Japanese maple and an elm that I did. And uh, I went for it and I said, you know what? This could be a complete disaster. Uh, <laughs> but I was so afraid. I was so afraid that to see people walk out and, be bored or something i say no i'm gonna i'm gonna give him a i'm gonna give him a good show yes. but anyway I, you know 
That's it, it was it was interesting. It was interesting. I did I did enjoy it. Uh, in that trip, I I met uh, Gordon Digg, who's mm-hmm. uh, the director of the of the Mary Collection, uh, bonsai collection. So it was it was pretty awesome. I mean, you 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 know, uh, again, I, I'm 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 just thrilled, man. I, I'm I'm. It's been it's been an interesting ride for sure. In this couple of years, uh, lots happening. Um, I mean, I, I just finished the book with uh, Michael Hagedorn. Yeah, I'm I very, didn't know. I'm, I didn't know I'm you very, were illustrating that. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very grateful that uh, that was through my good friend, Andrew Robson, uh-huh. uh, that puts us in contact. And then Michael contacted me and uh, I was like, wow, I get to use my illustrative skills to, to an interesting project. Um you know, when he talked to me about the project, it, it, it really sounded like a little bit out of the box. It wasn't another how-to book and immediately kind of uh, sort of grabbed my attention for sure. And uh, Michael was great. Michael gave me a lot of sort of, uh, you know, leeway and, 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 you know, flexibility, if you will, creative flexibility to kind of explore, you know, an illustrative style that set that sort of... Um, supported the tone of the book mm-hmm. itself so that was an interesting very interesting i mean it took uh i think it took 10 years of my life because like every <laughs> single every single moment that i had free i had to work on the book yeah um it was a lot of work it was definitely a lot of work and uh but i i don't regret it at all uh so that was that was really cool obviously and uh you know and i've been doing you know workshops here and there next year i'm supposed to who knows with this pandemic was going to happen next year but supposed to be in seattle in february next year and i actually was thinking about flying down um if i'm there i'm gonna fly down to uh to see you guys if 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 i can if i may if you guys if you guys allow me there oh my gosh (laughs) we'll allow you to do a live stream for us i would love that i would love that uh, podcast in person <laughs> have Sergio on site. That would be amazing. I mean, I would, I want you, I want you to come out here. I think, uh, even thinking about doing the podcast over the phone, I was like, God, it'd be so much better to just fly you out here, but can't ask anybody to do that. If you're going to be in Seattle, we're going to make that happen. And, and if you've got time, right. if you've got time, I would, oh, lo- absolutely. I would love absolutely. your handiwork yeah. on some trees at Mariah. I would love that. No, that, that would be a huge honor, honestly. And uh, absolutely, I, I definitely, because a lot, so many people ask me, oh, you've been at Mirai? I'm like, no, unfortunately not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know Ryan, but I do not know Mirai. And uh, so that opportunity came up and I'm like, oh yeah, I need to plan a trip for sure. If I'm there, definitely go down to uh, to see you guys in Portland. So that's that definitely is in the works for sure. But I'll, I'll definitely let you know about it. Yeah, um, yeah let's make that happen. Yeah, with this pandemic, who knows uh, in February where we're going to be. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, that would be very exciting for me, for sure. Outstanding. Um, yeah. Outstanding. Yeah, so. yeah the, the community around here, uh, Michael Hagedorn, the story yeah. for me coming to the Pacific Northwest, you know, is so closely related to Michael extending that olive branch. And then I'm, I'm, I'm pumped Andrew Robson is, is here and, and is building yeah. his garden right now. He's an absolutely stellar person. Yeah. Uh, uh, he'll be out to podcast again, I hope soon. So um, really that's enjoy awesome. yeah, that community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, he's a great guy and uh, we're kind of kindred spirits, right? Because he's uh, the deciduous guy of the, uh, over there in the West coast. And yep. uh, we, we often kind of through Facebook and stuff, 
we kind of um you know communicate and uh you know with uh and do the serious talk and stuff like that so it, it's a he's, he's a great guy great guy he's doing some great stuff with uh, uh the deciduous model so you know yeah yeah rock on it's interesting because um you know i i kind of had a feeling that this was going to happen as far as like that wave of of deciduous interest if you will um i don't think he's completely there but like again once again you guys are bringing out more deciduous live streams mm-hmm. which i love by the way uh there's a there's a real interest now people are really kind of turning their attention to the serious um you know species and stuff like that which is exciting um you know I, i'm kind of working the other way I, i'm getting more and more a little more into conifers mm-hmm. not to say that i will i will leave the seizures but i want to and i think you pointed out that early in the conversation i want to kind of be you know i used to be they used to call me oh he's the maple guy he's the maple guy and i'm like well uh, that was that was kind of bothering me a little bit mm. because i'm like yeah i'm trying to yeah i'm using maples as my way to express that deciduous sort of uh, evoke that deciduous you know uh you know feeling of of a, of a tree that i see in nature but I, you know, I started working with other trees like beech and, and hornbeam. I got your linden, of course. And, um, but I want to be, the point being is I wanted to be a little more well-rounded. I don't want to be just the seedless guy. I want to, I want to learn about, I want to learn about conifers and not only horticulture, but I want to also learn how to, how to style them basically. Yeah. Um, you know, working artistically sort of work with them. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, in starting the conversation, and 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 it, I never I never want to put somebody in a box because the the same box has been I, I've heard people describe me as you know he's the Japanese bonsai guy in the first two years and now he's the <laughs> now he's the non Japanese bonsai guy and he's the conifer guy and it just sucks yeah. you know it sucks yeah. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah yeah very early on in my apprenticeship. I went with one of my senpai who didn't make it through his entire apprenticeship. Uh, he washed out, but he took me to uh, a New Year's party at uh, a, a, like a semi-professional bonsai nursery, which is which I never should have done. Right, totally taboo to do as an apprentice of Mister Kimura. You do not do that. I didn't know it at the time, right? So we're sitting there, and all these. I've only been at Mister Kimura's for maybe like three, four months. And all of these, uh, you know, students of the semi-professional uh, are asking me, you know, what do you do at Mr. Kimura's? What does he do about this, that, and the other? And I, and I was telling them it's so complex because everything is so, you know, there's so much information. And one of them said, ah, in five years, you're going to basically be like, it's all pretty much the same. And I didn't know what that meant. And I thought, this guy's an idiot and he doesn't know anything anyways. And, and lo and behold, like when you get right down to it, if yeah. you know how to do deciduous bonsai well, so much of it cross applies to conifers. If you know how to do big trees well, so much of it cross applies to shohin. It's you don't have to I, be isolated, right? Absolutely, I, I agree with you, and I think there is some fundamental, you know, design principles that apply. And this is this is why for me, you know, the 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 uh, the painting and and bonsai are are kind of one and the same because it all goes back to these these design principles that you know you have you have negative spaces you have contrast you have 
you know, harmony, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, so you apply those concepts from one one type of tree to the next, whether it's a citrus or conifer. But you know, so I, I don't think I don't think if you're doing conifer, oh yeah, Ryan cannot do the citrus or vice versa or whatever. Mm-hmm. I do believe that if you're if you're a good artist, I do believe you can do anything. And to your point, you can do shuhin, you can do large trees, you can do shohin, you can do it all. Because yeah. again, you have those fundamental design principles in green in your head. You you get it. You know what I mean? You yep. see it. Um, and that's that's what allows you kind of to 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 do that. Yeah. But um and, and that's a very difficult for me anyway, Brian. It is difficult when I'm sort of teaching a workshop or or whatnot it is that the artistic part is a very difficult thing because there's so many nuances to mm-hmm. to as you well know in the design that if if i want to just turn this branch just a little bit and kind of mimic that twist somewhere else in the tree to kind of tell a holistic story in your design it, it is it is yeah you can kind of talk about it but it's one of those things that either you know, I hate to say this, but either you you either have it or you don't. Yeah. And uh, you can you can you can learn the the techniques, right? You can learn that. You can learn how to play the piano, but then when you when you're told, well, then you need to compose a piece of music. Ah, that's a different kind of story there. Yes. So you know, uh, not to say that that cannot be taught, but it's it's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. It's very abstract. I, I I totally I totally agree with you. I think um I think where I always feel like um I agree with you and and I would say I would say this again um seeing your work it's clear that you have that thing, right? Whatever that thing is, the thing is quantified as in Japan they would call it the sense. You have the sense I definitely have students that immediately come to Mirai and it's very obvious. They touch a tree, their wiring looks nice just because they have that sense, right? They understand the aesthetic of it as well as the function of it, the way they design trees. Okay, I don't need to be intervening in their execution of their aesthetic sense. Um, But I would also say this, I experienced over the course of my apprenticeship significant periods of time where everything that I produced, Mr. Kimura was not happy with. And I, I remember calling my dad in my fourth year of apprenticeship. And I just said, you know, I think I've just wasted the past four yeah. years of my life because I don't think I have it. I don't think, I don't think I'm ever going to be very good at this. And he was like, what the hell are you talking about? And it, but, but I, I hadn't tapped into it. And so I agree with you, you have it or you don't, but I also think the time frame for people to find that 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 sense is different. Some people have it immediately, whether they've been trained to have it because of, of other, uh, you know, and some people have never found that. They've never exercised that muscle. And as they exercise Agreed. it, three, five, eight years later, all of a sudden, boom, they turn the corner and they've accumulated enough to be able to execute that. Well, I would tell you, Ryan, In in uh, I would put myself in, in as an example of that, I mean, in the first 20 years, you would probably look at, at the work that I did and you go, whoa, this guy doesn't get it. And I did not get it. Mm-hmm. And I had an art background. Mm-hmm. 
but for me, I mean, there was some things that something happened. Something happened in 2010 that sort of started things started clicking in for sure. Once again, uh, with with the with uh, some of you guys coming off of Japan with like fresh new ideas uh, and latest techniques and such, it obviously kind of really re-energized people, myself included. But um, but yeah, but to your point, you know, I agree. I agree. Some people may get it like right away with the right instructor, but some people may take a lot longer to to sort of uh, blossom yeah. in that sense. And I even saw it in art school as well. We're like, wait, this is the same guy, this painting, this is the same guy that that uh, like two years ago I saw? This, there's no way. And all of a sudden they just found themselves somehow uh as as artists yeah and they were doing some of the best work so i agree with you yeah. i agree with you on that for sure but for sure but but yes. just going back to your point the number mm-hmm. of people that turn the corner that really turn that corner and bonsai becomes not something that they're duplicating but they're creating where you've gotten where todd has gotten where uh you know a lot of other people are striving to get right now that is that is that thing that i think you're speaking of and i and i do believe I do believe some people can get there easier than others or some people yes. hit that timeline sooner than others. And it's, it's a fascinating and really beautiful. And again, just like um, having, having experience, had, had experienced that myself, uh, both in Japan and having come back and felt transitions in my approach, um, you become so much more keen and aware of observing that in other people. You know, you see students accumulating you see students just, it's almost just like, uh, it's like a uh, buffet where it's ah, just feeding yeah. on the knowledge. And then you yeah. see them not as, um, not as insatiable, but more focused on the finer nuances of the taste of information. And then all of a yeah. sudden, boom, they're making a beautiful meal. And it's like, yeah. oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I just, wa- I just got to watch that whole process happen in in them finding their own voice with a medium that is such a mystery, you, you know, and has been to all of it's, it's freaking awesome. It's, it's amazing. It really is. It's, it's in a way it's kind of magical. Yeah, it really is. Um, I, I mean, I love it. I don't think that there is, hasn't been a moment, uh, in my life that I'm enjoying myself. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying myself, uh, right now. I really am. I mean, I know putting aside the, sort of crazy times that yeah. we live in yeah putting that aside obviously but um but as far as bonsai man is is just amazing and like i said we are we are going through a period right now exciting period um of bonsai in america you know i, I think europe already went through it but now it's like now you know we the united states you know again folks like you michael uh we have matt real yeah uh, we have obviously boone you know that um, that leading the way for the rest of us, and um, it, it's it's awesome. It really is awesome. And uh, like I said to you earlier, I want to be I want to be part of that ride. You know, um, it, it's exciting. It's really really exciting. Well, you're you're uh, definitely inspiring a lot of people with your work. I find it utterly impressive, and uh, and I think we need to Thank do th- I think we need to do this again because we didn't even get into. I know it's late there. You were kind enough okay. to be. Uh, you were kind enough to make time on the weekend. I want to be respectful of that. But we didn't get into Havana. We didn't get into Spain. <laughs> we didn't get into coming back to the like 
there is some there is definitely some history of Sergio Quan that we need to know as uh you know to to sort of understand uh what's what's built I think your bonsai practice because I think it all contributes at some point in time um but I certainly appreciate you making the time it's been super spectacular to fi- oh, finally sit down and talk yeah. to you yeah no it's been an absolute honor and pleasure for me Ryan thank you for for asking and uh this has been super fun super fun talking to you I, I know that this is really the first time right because you and I have talked briefly before, yeah. Uh, but it's for real first time that uh, we sit down and kind of have a have a fun chat. So yeah. I, I've uh, absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it, and I uh, continue to enjoy your work tremendously. So likewise, you know. likewise. Well, uh, this will be the first of many. Let's uh, stay okay. in touch about you coming out here because because uh, we would love yeah. to have you down at Mirai and um, uh, keep that conversation alive. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll let you know. Hey, Sergio, right. you stay healthy, stay well out there, and uh, and we'll stay in touch, my friend. You as well. Happy Father's Day, Ryan. Hey, happy Father's okay. Day to you. All right, Thank take you. care. All right, see ya. Take care. Okay, bye-bye, Ryan. Bye-bye.